Listen up. It's time for a politically entertaining exclusive interview. Joining us today on Politically Entertaining, she is the interim chair and reporting state delegate for the Mobile Bay Green Party. She has a lengthy history of activism and organizing protests within the state of Alabama. I credit her for helping me see toxic masculinity, patriarchy, and disparity in coverage of Black female victims versus Black male victims. She's my friend and our high school classmate, Kristen Bracey. What's going on? Hi. <laughs> How y'all doing? We good. We good, man. We happy to have you on. Thank you for having me. I appreciate the invitation. Absolutely. Absolutely. I wanted to um, talk to you because I know you think uh, you don't have a lot going on, but from my point of view, you do. And the first thing I want to um, ask you is, so you, you, you're the interim chair and reporting state delegate for the Green Party. What are, the res- what are the responsibilities and duties of those positions? Well, let me start with the, um, the interim chair. I actually was thrown into the position really abruptly. Our, um, we're in rebuild mode right now, um, just kind of re- putting everything back together and getting everybody back on board. So as an interim chair right now, my biggest job for the Mobile Bay Green Party is to rebuild, get everything back in order, as they say, get our house in order. Um, we had a few members move away. We had a few members um, step down to personal reasons. And so I was um, kind of thrown into the responsibility and I stepped up, say, okay, you know, I don't want to see all the work we had done kind of fall to the wayside um, because life because life happened. So I stepped in, I stepped up, and that's where we were with that. By doing so, that thrust me into doing my very first um, Green National Convention for the presidential nominee and um, voting on the vice presidential nominee. So that was kind of, hey, jump right in. Let's let's do it. <laughs> right. So as the uh, reporting delegate, my responsibility was to, um, it's it's pretty simple and it's it sounds I guess it sounds more complicated than it actually is. The convention is a matter of voting in and, and passing your vote. This is who we want for president. This is who had our votes for uh, vice president for uh, the state of Alabama. So I basically do the reporting. This is how many votes we have for Hawkins. This is how many votes we had for Davis, et cetera. And it kind of went from there. So that's where we, um, that's what my job was as a reporting delegate. But it was, it was, interesting to see you know one because it was my first time having to do anything of that magnitude and to have it done during a pandemic so it was completely virtual was I got to uh participate because under normal circumstances I probably wouldn't have been able to travel for it (laughs) so that was pretty fun so I guess my second question is why why the green party versus the uh the other two major parties what 
what about them? What about them made you align yourself with, with them? That is a great question. So for me, when um, I've always been politically involved, my father is um, the former president of Blacks in Government for the Gulf Coast chapter. So I've been around politics pretty much my entire life. My father's very involved. Um, so for me, voting was, it was not an option. It was like, I'm getting involved. I'm going to exercise my right. And that was very much an important part of my upbringing. So I was, I literally had my 18th birthday and the following week registered to vote. Like that's how important it was for me. <laughs> it's like, I have to register right now. And my very first, uh, election i think our all of our we were around the same age all of our first um election was the 2000 election yes yep. bush versus yes. gore mm -hmm. i'm in college college freshman you know i had to vote away from home so i was really nervous kind of anticipating how i was gonna go and uh to make a long story short i was very disheartened by the process <laughs> to watch gore kind of just like that it was so disheartening it was like wait I thought you were gonna fight for us <laughs> like what happened you know it was it was just a hard blow to take and I mean to my to my mature adolescent memory the only president I recall was Reagan and Clinton I knew a little bit about HW but not as much as Clinton and Reagan so oh. that was kind of like oh. where my mind went when so it was it to, was it the was it the first concession that you didn't like or when he finally yes. conceded? Okay. It, it was well, like I mean, the he took way it back. It happened. Yeah, but it was hot. It, it, it was like no take back. It was so. It was. <laughs> he thought he lost Florida. Like no take backs. Like it was very strange how it happened, and that was my first. I want to say, aha! This is how this works. Moment because the entire thing unfolded and it seemed very, uh, every, it seemed like everybody was kind of scrambling to figure out what was going on. And I don't recall the station that called it, but one station called it and all the other stations changed their minds. And it was like, what is happening here? Like it, it was awakening for me to like, this cannot be the democratic process. This is not how I thought this was gonna be. It was, it was like, your first kiss or your first love and you're like, wait, this is not how I thought this was gonna be. Like <laughs> the fairy tale was gone for me. So gotcha. <laughs> that's how it happened. So immediately, of course, you know, you go off to college and you get introduced to new ideas and thoughts. I think that's the beauty of college. You get introduced to new people, new schools of thought. And um, I was handed a flyer one day started reading, started, you know, learning different things. And it was interesting for me. It's like, oh, what's, what's this Green Party stuff, you know? And so um, read a little deeper and the very next election that rolled around, I was a registered Green. I was like, I'm, I'm all in. Hey, that, this, that, that's, that's a really uh, interesting story. Uh, this is this is Frank. I'm gonna I'm gonna get in here. I have a, a couple of questions for you. The first is, okay, 
so when you have an election coming up like this year, and, and obviously mm -hmm. some people, is a very divisive election. The Green Party is obviously a, you know, more of a minority party, if they do have a candidate at all. Sometimes they do something that they don't have a major candidate. What is your thought on voting for the Green Party in an election where it might take away votes from, say, and you have a situation where you have, like, say, a Donald Trump, and not just to bring him up, but anybody, like, let's just say there is a lesser of two evils, and by, by voting for the Green Party or campaigning for the Green Party, you're, you, you might allow something like that to happen. Do you have, like, when, when in 2016, was that on your mind at all when, um, you know, you were thinking about Green Party candidates and you were like, hey, you know, I know that this is a close election, but I'm still going to push this because I believe in it versus, okay, I'm going to shift my support to, you know, what might be the better candidate overall that has a chance. What, what is the thinking behind how you uh, manage the Green Party in a major election year? Right. That's a great question. We get that a lot because we're a third party i think we're actually fourth because you know we have libertarian of course um that is ahead of us as far as numerically but um we're the you know the big bad green boogie thorn in everyone's political side that everyone thinks is taking away the votes of the democratic party i like to think of it as we keep the democrats honest because a lot of the platform for the 2016 election was initially Green Party platform. The Green New Deal, universal healthcare, free, free college education, those things were all Green Party platforms long before the Democratic Party came along. I think with a large election like this, people get more and more disheartened with the process and it frustrates them because here we are, we're having to choose, per se, between a Republican who is, uh, gosh, I don't, wanna, I don't even know how to be nice about it, but <laughs> who is uh, very underqualified, uh, very braggadocious, narcissistic, and, and has a history of very, very trial. I'm trying to be nice here. I'm, I'm choosing my words. <laughs> you don't have to be nice for us. He's, 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 he's made some very troubling decisions as a person who's, you know, comes from a military background, military family. It's, it's frustrating to watch those types of decisions being made without consulting those who are put in place to make those decisions. And then you have Joe Biden, who's running, who's basically like, he's next in line. He's an establishment Democrat. He's been in a Democratic Party for years, you know, all the way back to the 90s, I think even before the 90s, if I'm not mistaken. Um, and he's very establishment. He's not left-leaning at all. He's not progressive at all in a world, in a nation that's becoming more and more pro progressive. We're moving forward, and yet we're constantly giving the well, you got to choose one of these two guys. And it, it, that was astounding for me because I, even though I'm green and I've been green for a long time to watch the Democratic debates and watch it dwindle all the way down and still end up with an old white guy. That was the most amazing thing for me. It's like, here we are. We had, it, I think the first time I've ever seen an Asian American candidate the first time I've ever seen um, 
a Jamaican American, um, I think her father, her mother's Indian American candidate, a biracial candidate. We've had uh, Tosi Galbert. We've had, I mean, so many different, all the women that were on there. And it was like, we still end up with an old white guy. That was amazing. And I don't even feel as if he was the best one there, but that's what everyone, that's what it dwindled down to. So then here comes the Green Party and Libertarian Party. Of course, you know, different parties come along and everyone, if the, if it doesn't work out, people want to blame the third party. I say for me, it's your right to vote how you feel. And if that candidate is not doing what they are supposed to be doing, or if the Green Party has enough movement behind it to make this type of election sway, then that speaks to a larger problem that the people are dissatisfied with the process. And you can't blame the people for voting for what they want. You can't get upset that a steakhouse goes out of business because people chose sushi. Well, guess what? I don't want steak anymore. I want to choose something else. I don't particularly care for that. It's not working for me. It's clogging my arteries. I'm not healthy anymore. The system currently is not healthy. And people are unhappy. People are growingly, the, the, the economic gap is, is widening. People are poor. People are, are disenfranchised. They're unhappy with the system, the political system, the, the education system, the prison system, the environmental injustice even that we don't even speak of that happens to black people. That's something that we're, we're dealing with right now in the state of Alabama. People don't talk about the environmental injustice that poor people have to deal with when they live next to power plants and factories and, you know, major corporations and people just sweep that stuff away and don't talk about it. But we're supposed to vote for the other guy because he's not that guy. That's not enough. That's not enough. I hope that answers nope. your question. I mean, <laughs> I, I, I mean, it, it, it did. Um, so, so, so you mentioned a word in there. You said process. The process being broken. So, one of the interesting things is obviously voting. If as you being as active as you are, and your resume obviously speaks for itself, voting, you know, is is one of the things that is highlighted. But when you look at things like the recent shootings, um, say of of Jacob Blake and, and or or the, uh, obviously George Floyd, or even a Breonna Taylor, you see these different injustices with the police. What are the what are the what are the things that, that activism has taught you that you can do in between these votings to so that things will get changed. Cause I, I know right now it's hot and everybody's like, hey, let's vote, let's vote because this is happening. But really after November 3rd, right? If your candidate gets right. like whoever that was, how are how is the problem still gonna be solved? There's, there's, there's a major issue, right? Police, they have union contracts. They have mm -hmm. use of force policies that they don't disclose. How do you, how, how, are you, how, what, how would you, and, I guess the question is, have you pursued the path of understanding how to be, you know, dealing with some of the issues that we're voting on after the election or after elections pass? Because even if it's the people you don't want, how do you get them to do what you want? And the people that you did want, how do you get them to do what they said they were going to do? So I, I guess just, just that question, if that makes sense. It makes, it makes a lot of sense. For me, that's when the work starts. I tell people all the time, the voting part is the easy part. Voting to me is like 
the um I'm a, I'm a mother so I, I equate a lot of things to parenthood for me the voting part is conception right the child has been created now we have to raise it right that's when the work starts so the raising of the child is the making sure that whomever gets in office because i think a huge misconception is that if i vote and you vote and we vote for two different people and and your guy wins that I don't no longer have a voice to speak up. That's not true. I voted. I'm a part of the democratic process. I don't, I don't give away my vote because, well, I voted, so I no longer get to speak. That's not true. These people work for us. They are public servants, even all the way up to the highest job. And we know that because they petition us for our votes. They're out there right, right now asking us to vote for them. They're basically interviewing for a job, and it is our responsibility to hold them accountable once they receive that job. If you get on your job and your boss hires you, the day one, they're expecting you to perform, and they're expecting you to perform to a certain level, and that's what I expect of any elected official, whether I voted for them or not. I expect you to perform your job. Your job is to make sure this is done, and that goes all the way down to the bottom, all the way to city council, to mayor, to gubernatorial, to senators, all the way across the board. I expect you to perform. I tell people constantly right here in the city because being being Green Party, we pride ourselves on being grassroots. We focus mostly on local elections and things of that sort. I push for people, hey, if you're a felon, learn your rights about getting your, your voting rights back. If you can't get your voting rights back, guess what? You have a wife a girlfriend, a baby mama, an auntie, a cousin, someone to vote on your behalf to make sure that in the future you could possibly get your voting rights back. But be vocal. Your voice is not silenced because your guy didn't win. You still have a right to speak up because this is the United States. It's not the Republican states because the Republican guy won. It's not the Democratic states. It's not the Green states. It's the United States. We come together. We're supposed to talk it out, figure it out, work it out amongst ourselves. But the system is so broken that whenever anybody wins on one side or the other, it's automatically everyone draws to their opposite sides and they form their attack. The entire Obama, um, the entire Obama administration, the, the entire time he was in office, all it was was attack, 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 attack. And I'm like, even if he had a plan, what was going to happen? He had zero input or zero help from from anyone, from the independents, from the outside. From the, It was like, what do you expect? Same thing happened. It, 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 it's like now, like there's no help. There's no intermingling across the board. There's no one else stepping aside because the president has power, but Congress still has power. Governors still have power. Other people can legislate and say, look, this guy's not doing what he's supposed to do, but we can still do our job. But because the leader has not done his job, everyone else just kind of sat back. And I'm like, that's not acceptable. That's not okay. So in between elections, it's your job as a citizen to get up and do something. And you can do something as small or as large as getting out rallying to registering other people to vote, making sure that other people understand their rights as voters. Just something as simple as today, I spoke with my nephew. My nephew has um, 
a disability. He has traumatic brain injury. He's going to vote his first time this year. I had to explain to him his rights as, look, you're a disabled American. These are your rights. You have a right to vote. If you're having troubles, we're going to look into figuring out if you can get someone in there to read the ballot off to you and what are your rights as a voter with a disability. These are things that you can do. And that little thing is a part of the democratic process that makes you active in the process itself. We are talking to Christian Racy. I told you at the top of the uh, interview, she's the interim chair and reporting state delegate for the Mobile Bay Green Party. She's also, she's like the co-founder of the African Town Poet Society. She helped organize the Jena 6 uh, March for those of you, I think that, what was that, 2007, Jena 6? Yes, it was 2007, yeah. yes. Um, so Long she, time ago. <laughs> when I say she's active, she is very, very uh, active. Um, I want to ask this next question like a Fox News host would. Okay. <laughs> because you have petitioned for more human treatment of prisoners in the state of Alabama, similar to what uh, I believe right. is Yo, Yo Gotti and Jay-Z, they're doing that in Mississippi as well. Um, mm -hmm. So someone of the more conservative ilk would, would probably ask you, and what, what would your response be to this? Why okay. use your energy on helping a bunch of rapists, murderers, and child molesters. Why, why put your energy in that when you can put your energy into helping the inner city youth? Uh, they love to bring up fatherless home or, or they love to bring up you know, <laughs> Chicago. Those are like their favorite too. So why not, why, yeah, why don't you focus on that? Why are you focusing on convicted uh, criminals? Well, I will say this, um, I do both. I don't just focus on one thing. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a multitasker. I do more than one thing at one time. I'm able to do more than one task at one time. Yes, our inner city children need help. Our school systems are falling apart and the Mobile County school system needs assistance and the kids need better education. But guess what else? Even if you've committed a crime, you're still a human being and you are entitled to certain inalienable rights even as a prisoner. You deserve humane treatment. Even the way you die, if you are a death row inmate, you're supposed to die humanely. It's not our job to cast you aside and treat you like an animal. You're not an animal. I think that's where the breakdown comes in with people as well. Because you're in prison, we're supposed to treat you like a subhuman. No, you're not a subhuman. No, and, and there are some people, absolutely, yes, they have the baseless, oh, goodness, the most uh, just tragic crimes that you could ever think of. I mean, the, the scum of scum. However, that's still a human being. We don't have to treat them like animals. And even animals are treated better than some prisoners are. The food that some prisoners take in, the uh, streams that run downstream to certain prisons are toxic because they're coming from um, factories and things of that sort and it gets into the drinking water and that's not okay. They're stacked up on top of each other. They're, they're basically caged and you can prison someone and not treat them like less than human. The prison system itself, again, is another system that's broken. We call it the belly of the beast for a reason. It 
used to be if someone goes into prison, especially for nonviolent crimes, we were looking to rehabilitate that person so they can reintegrate into society. We no longer do that. We no longer have any type of systems to where they can educate themselves, they can get their GED, they can um, get a trade of something. So when they get out, they're able to integrate back into society. But if you make the prison environment violent and vile, their food is terrible, you make more criminals in prison. And they come out institutionalized, even if it's a little bit. I know guys, when I did, um, I did some small prison reintroduction, reintroduction programs where I teach, taught people how to read. Cause there's a lot of adults that, that they end up committing crimes because they lack the resources of reading, of basic skills, basic life skills, minimal skills to get a job even. So I, took it upon myself. Hey, let's help you get your GED. Let's help you get, learn how to fill out a job application. But a lot of those guys were so conditioned to prison lifestyle of having to protect themselves, watch their back, you know, being constantly on guard that it was hard to reintegrate back into society. And once they got out, it was unnatural for them because they were so used to having to protect themselves, guard themselves, keep themselves in a certain position. So now, how do you bring that person back out? Because you don't separate the rapists. You don't separate the killers. You don't put the guy with the misdemeanor separate from the guy that has a felony death charge. The only people that are separated are people that are, have a psychiatric problem, some, not all, and some that have um, health issues or are on death row. That's it. Everyone else is in what they call general population. So it's a big gumbo of misdemeanors, violent crimes. You don't know what you're getting. Great, great. Now, how is that a functioning? How is it a functioning system? So it's not a waste of time to treat these people like beings and create an environment to where these people that may get out someday are able to reintegrate back into society to where they don't commit crimes to go back into prison. Great, great thing that you're doing. Um, so I, I know I promised you that I wouldn't keep you too long, and I know you're actually multitasking and ask you do this as you do this interview. So I'll get you out of here with this final question. Uh, you and I, we, we talk with friends. I know that you are close to the family of uh, Jacob Blake, and I just wanted to ask you, um, and you, you, you know you've done a lot of organizing with protests as well. So what would you say is the biggest false narrative uh, that you can say with that particular case or just with uh, protesting in general? What is the biggest false narrative that you think needs to be pushed back on the most? Because uh, when things like what happened with him happen, you get all types of things said on social media and stuff. Uh, right. We saw during the George Floyd protest that Black people were being blamed for a lot of vandalism that white people were actually committing. So right. what, what are some of the biggest narratives that need to be pushed back on? I think, again, um, people need to question their humanity. Here's the problem that I have with people that justify the shooting of someone in the streets. The cop's job is not to be judge and executioner. 
Your job is to apprehend, to bring in for questioning. I have a problem with watching people be okay seeing another human being lose their life in the street. I, I cannot fathom what goes through a person's mind that makes that justified. No matter what this other person has done or what this person has committed, the cop's job is to apprehend, not to kill because you felt that was the thing to move on, especially considering they've done that in other situations. I think that's what people are missing. Black Lives Matter is not a political statement. It means Black life deserves to have their day in court, to have their day in, in tr for trial, to have their day, period, to live beyond their contact with police. They deserve to live beyond police interaction. I'm a law-abiding, non-criminal citizen, and my heart beats fast when I see the lights come on. It is not even for me. They could be going by me because there's an emergency, but my heart stops. I flinch. I clench my body because I don't know. Black Lives Matter basically means we just want to live. Not that we want criminals released or if someone deserves to go to prison to not send them to prison. That's not what it's about. It's about that person deserves to have their day in court like anyone else. That's what set, separates us from the civilized and the uncivilized. The fact that we have established a system of checks and balances. You commit a crime, you go to court, you have an attorney appointed to you. That's in your Miranda rights. But we've gone beyond Miranda rights and we're slaughtering people in the streets. It's a gladiator sport and that's not okay. And if you can't check yourself enough to say, you know what, you got a point, that people don't deserve to die, especially when you look at, I can watch someone walk up on the police, the same police department, and slaughter people with an assault rifle. This is the same police department, and he gets to leave. No one threw him to the ground. No one put their foot in his Nick, this guy killed two, two people and injured a third and was able to walk away. There's a case in Florida of a, of a uh, man that was high on, I think it was bath salts. The police arrived to the residence. This man's eating a person's face. He lived. They didn't kill him on sight. They didn't you know, try to shoot him 15 times, he lived. It can be done. The, this latest case, uh, forgive me, I forget the gentleman's name, that, that the video just released from New York. It's clear, if you get a call as a police officer that there's a person in the streets naked. Daniel Prude. There's clearly either a mental problem here or a drug problem here. Why are you going into the situation trying to kill a naked person? He's naked. Why isn't your first instinct 
to think humane, humanely, excuse me, and apprehend the God. Defunding or system and putting it back together, that's not going to work. You have to overhaul the entire system. The system is broken. Yeah, and and I don't I'm I'm not even sure if the system is broken or if it's working too correctly and it needs to be uh completely changed. But I definitely understand what you're saying. Um said a lot of great things. I appreciate you coming on and doing this with us. Um good luck in all that you do in Alabama. Uh keep fighting that keep fighting that fight. We need more like you. And keep checking me because I do feel like I, I try my best to be an ally on, um, you know, defending women, and especially on like domestic violence and, and toxic masculinity. Mm -hmm. But I miss it sometimes too. Sometimes I, I'm like, man, I, I don't know about that one. So continue to <laughs> continue to challenge me and uh, challenge others like me and uh, help us be better, man. I appreciate you. And I no thank problem. you for coming on. Thank y'all for having I want to thank Miss Bracy once again for coming on the show. Uh, you you gave us a lot of stuff, ma'am. Uh, I like she mentioned one of the things she mentioned, especially with dealing with the Green Party, was how people don't talk enough about the the environment. And I remember we did a show a few years ago about uh, it was Eight Mile in our in our hometown of Mobile. Uh, there was like some toxic. Uh, I, feel, I forget the story was so long ago, but I remember us bringing that up and how they do target a lot of these poor neighborhoods to put these big factories in and could care less about the consequences of, of the health complications that those fumes and everything else can cause. So that, I was glad to hear her bring that up. She mentioned what happened in Florida, how the police showed up to a man on bath salt biting somebody's face and they didn't shoot him. I love to bring up Charles Kinsley and how also in Florida, he was sitting down. The police told him to put his hands up. He was trying to help an autistic patient of his. The police told him to put his hands up. He did that and he still got shot. And I love to use that example because the other side loves to say, if you just follow directions, you won't get shot. The police won't shoot you. Well, there's a man that was following directions, didn't have a weapon, wasn't a threat, and he still got shot. So that excuse goes out the window of just listen. So again, just loved having her on. And um, just what, what did you take from the interview? I mean, it's just always good to have a classmate. You know, I think, I think it's amazing how many um, people from our class or just from the floor in general are, you know, active in understanding this process. I think that's part of the change that, that needs to happen. So I, I've just been impressed with her activism for such, for such a long time, her resume speak for itself and it's always good to have people who have a genuine heart for for helping and I liked her answer about you know why the Green Party exists because I think sometimes people in a, in a, in a national election year where it might be close they get kind of frustrated with say um, you know a third party or a fourth party as she mentioned but I think that um, she she, she um, stated her case well and and I think that if more people were like her we'd have a much better system. Thank you for listening to Politically Entertaining. 
Be sure to subscribe to the podcast via iTunes and visit politicallyentertaining.com for the latest in political news and updates. Thank you.